Welcome to the Functional Medicine and Natural Healing Podcast, where we share the secrets to upgrade your digestion, improve your hormones, restore your immune system, and detoxify your body. I'm your host, Dr. Houston Anderson. Now let's get started. The following discussion is for educational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or disease process. Always discuss any medical treatments or medical interventions with your personal physician. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. I'm Dr. Houston Anderson, and today we have a special guest, Dr. Todd Anderson. We have the same last name, but we are not related, uh, though we are decent friends um, when it comes to uh, health stuff. And the reason why is because we have a lot of the same opinions. So I brought Dr. Anderson on here a couple episodes ago. I said, I'm probably not going to bring people on because I don't want it super diluted. I don't want soft opinions. I want this to be really aggressive and harsh and really the things that people need to do in order to heal. Um, but Dr. Todd Anderson is a little bit nicer than me, so he may not say all the things that I would say, uh, but I'll try and get him to say his opinion <laughs> as many things as we can um, so that you guys can uh, have more of kind of just two different views of what someone might do for a, for a thyroid condition. So today's going to be all about the thyroid. Um, I love Dr. Todd Anderson because he's a details guy. Um, I'm a big picture guy, and Dr. Todd Anderson is excellent at the details. So we're going to ask him all the details. We're going to quiz him on all his knowledge, stuff that he learned in school and stuff that he learned after school, things that you learn after treating thousands of patients. Um, we kind of have these weird tricks up our sleeve that we never really get to share unless the patient's in the office. So with that note, Dr. Todd, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So why don't you uh, just, because obviously uh, I'm the only person people know on my podcast because I don't have any guests. Um, why don't you tell me about where you're at, where you've been, what got you into healthcare in the first place? Yeah, I guess I've always been interested in nutrition, but where I started with nutrition was more from a vanity point. Um, I started out in the bodybuilding world, developing diets to help change people's outer appearance. And when I got to school, uh, the visceral somatic center at uh, the chiropractic school, uh, I started to do the same things that I would normally do for a healthy individual and found out that they would not always work for um, every single person out there. I kind of thought uh, I had a jaded look on weight loss. I thought that as long as you had uh, the calories, the macros, the protein, the carbs, the fats, uh, all in line, that people would just lose weight linearly and there's just an equation to it. Um, but what I found out was the very first patient that I had that had a weight loss problem, um, you know, they had complained of a thyroid problem and, uh, you know, I, you know, just like every other doctor probably looks at somebody that says they have a thyroid problem. It's like, well, you know, you're overeating, you know, we just need to address those things. And this person did everything that I said and they, they did not move. And it was a big, um, a big hit to the ego because I would always had success with, with, uh, changing the way people looked and, uh, <clears throat> getting deeper into it. You know, we did order some blood work. I had been exposed to some functional medicine stuff was just learning about blood work at this time. And we found out that functionally she did have a depressed thyroid and I kind of felt bad about, um, casting judgment without actually looking into their problem further. And I think ever since then, I've pretty much, you know, if a patient has mentioned something, I'm always going to investigate it. I'm always going to look further and take their opinion like it matters and not that I know everything about that patient. Dr. Uh, Todd on here. Uh, I don't know. You go by Dr. Todd, Dr. Anderson. What do you go by? Yeah, actually, Dr. A, 
just okay. to make things confusing. Yeah, you can go by Dr. A. I'll go by <laughs> Dr. Anderson. Uh, I call myself Dr. Anderson in person, but I sign my emails in Dr. A. So if, if you're ever looking for like the best functional medicine doctor that actually has time on their hands, because like in Arizona where I'm at, I'm at, like the wait can be like three to five months to talk to someone. Um, Dr. A right now, just because he started his brand new practice, just left states, left all his lovely patients that he loved so long, um, may have time. So we'll kind of get into that at the end and how you can contact him about all this thyroid stuff. Um, whereas if you call my office, I'm going to put you on a waiting list and it's going to be a while to get in for now. Um, he knows as much as I do, if not more, and we can kind of go from there. But yeah, I, I think uh, you know, me going back to school, is funny. I was taking an apex energetics class at the same time that my mom had a thyroid problem at the same time that um, the course directors were saying, yeah, just put her on a medication. And I was like, well, that doesn't, why am I studying natural medicine? If all I got to do is put people on medications, I, I'm not, I might as well just choose a different profession or something where I can do it without medication. Cause if I'm sending everyone to a doctor to get a drug, that doesn't really feel the right thing to me. So I kind of had an interesting story in school too. I remember I skipped all of the endocrinology stuff um, and just went and studied in the library. Cause I was trying to figure out this functional thyroid stuff. It was my highest score in like all of school um, because like I was obsessed with thyroid at the time. So it's kind of a cool story. So why don't you tell everyone, uh, you know, that's listening right now, what, what are some of the signs or symptoms that like may want you, you may want to look into some thyroid labs or thyroid testing. We're not going to go into the testing, the details of that on this episode, but what are some things, signs, symptoms that would commonly walk into your office that someone might be like, I'm, I might have a thyroid problem. Yeah. Uh, most of the time I'd say people already kind of have an idea that they have a thyroid problem. The first things that happen, uh, they've, they've likely had them for a while. Um, fatigue, weight gain, all of the metabolism stuff that people see hair loss, also very common, something that people may not know, but maybe the outer third of their eyebrows, um, starting to thin something that I see, um, also that may be not obvious as far as a thyroid issue go, or like dry cracked heels. Um, I don't want to say every time, but, but just about every time, uh, somebody had that particular issue. They, they've come back with a thyroid issue. Um, trouble sleeping is common. A lot of the symptoms associated with having a thyroid issue um, come down to the uh, the drivers of the problem itself um, are associated with the thyroid as well. What do you mean by that? So we'll get into uh, a little bit talking about uh, like blood sugar issues and then symptoms of having a blood sugar issue tend to correspond with whether you have you know, you're a diabetic, you're, you're, you favor more of somebody who's overweight versus somebody who's very underweight. Um, somebody that has higher low blood sugar, those symptoms correspond as well with having a thyroid issue simultaneously. Okay. So some of the symptoms are just amplified by the, the primary root drivers of the thyroid problem. Right. Yeah. So, so a lot of things we're going to go over today, I'll come from, uh, I just, I just, uh, downloaded one of, uh, Dr. A's, uh, YouTube videos. And so we're going to kind of go through one of those. I'll put the link in the show notes so everyone has it. Um, but, but let's start off with that. The, the, essentially the, the, the slide that I'm starting with says five things to correct your thyroid. But my favorite, my favorite part maybe of the whole thing is the philosophy behind it, which uh, I don't know if you have your slides anywhere near you that says supplement talk. Um, yeah. Where, where it talks about addressing nutrient drains before supplementing, right? So this is even more holistic than just using natural supplements to heal someone. Uh, you know, there's, there's an optimal. And I, and I, I realize that every patient's different and we can't be perfect. And not everyone gets just straightforward with everyone. Not everyone can stop their thyroid medication and feel great. 
Um, there's a lot of nuances to this condition, but in a perfect world, why don't you describe that, that kind of story to me of, of, yeah. of fixing the nutrient drains? Sorry. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. In, in general, if somebody feels better when they take magnesium or zinc or um, they take fish oil, they feel less achy. Um, you know, they'll have to continue to take that no different than if from the medical standpoint of being on a medication for life to make them feel better. Um, there's something that's running them down on those nutrients in the first place that require them to take them. So I always try to stay away from, unless the symptoms are severe enough and you want to help somebody improve those symptoms. Um, you don't want to cover up those symptoms with just making them feel better with those certain supplements, whether it be an adaptogenic herb that is going to give somebody more energy or help them sleep better at night. You want to address the things that are um, creating that issue in the first place. Right. Right. I like that. And then, and then after that, right. So after you address those kind of like root stuff, root, root problems that are going on that are cre- are driving these things, then you go and you can supplement or, or fill in, as you put it in your, in your slides, like fill in the gaps that, that either were created by the condition in the first place. Um, I think magnesium is like the most famous one. I, I actually, I, I would, I, I'm actually a big vitamin D junkie, um, meaning like mm-hmm. everyone shows up low in vitamin D, but I, I just don't believe that we all didn't get enough sunlight, right? I live in Arizona um, and, and I have construction workers come in that have literally been in the sun all day long. Their vitamin D is still low. So there's obviously a driver that's not lack of sun that's creating that condition. So in the thyroid, we're going to see a lot of these. Um, and I think in your, in your presentation, you, you, you mentioned what I love is that, you know, oftentimes thyroid's really just a secondary problem. Rarely do you just have this horrible thyroid um, that just never worked and you were destined to failure. Uh, but that there's these other things that were kind of driving it. So um, of those drivers, let's let's get into any one you want of those five that you've listed in your PowerPoint there, and uh, let's start. Yeah. So uh, let's see. Probably the the most common one because it can drive some of the other drivers, and so many people have this issue is the blood sugar. So we could probably start with blood sugar. Let's do it. Um, so other than not talking about any specific tests, but most people at least know of a a glucose test. If uh, you're over 100, then you have diabetes, you become insulin resistant. If you're below 85, then you're hypoglycemic or you have low blood sugar. Well, if you don't have those markers in front of you, you kind of know if you're that person that is anxious all the time, if they're waking up between one and three, um, if they're getting irritable, hangry, um, they skip breakfast all the time. Um, that, that would be more on the low side of blood sugar. And then the high side of blood sugar, this person's probably struggled with, um, weight gain for a long time. They've probably been told they have diabetes. Cause if, if you've been telling your doctor, you have a thyroid issue, they're probably checking for diabetes because they like to blame that. Um, if you have, a uh, low blood sugar issue, the way that you address a low blood sugar issue is um, breakfast, lunch, dinner. So I have this talk, whether it's breakfast or just fast. Um, and whether you're on the high or the low side, that determines what you're going to do, whether you eat breakfast or whether you're going to fast. So if you are on the low blood sugar side, you're below 85 you are going to eat a well-rounded breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So that's going to look like 
I don't know if I want to get into the numbers, but usually between 25, 30 grams of protein. And then you're probably gonna do the same thing for fat. So, um, you know, what I'll have some people do if they complain that they aren't uh, able to get enough food in the morning and they're strapped for time is you take hot water, you melt down some sort of fat, whether that's coconut oil, Kerrygold butter, um, let that melt down completely. And you could add like a chocolate flavored whey protein powder to it um, and throw some fruit. So these people, I'm not necessarily taking off of carbohydrates. You know, it's more about avoiding any uh, low blood sugar incidences, because what happens is when you have low blood sugar, your body has to correct for that. And the first thing it does acutely to correct for that is produce stress hormones, which is going to downregulate your thyroid hormone. Um, so you've got a double whammy with low blood sugar. You've got the low blood sugar, blood sugar itself activating the, that whole process that we're not going to get into. <laughs> um, and, the, and it's going to activate stress hormone production. So you've got a double whammy on, um, and, and it's constantly throughout the day. So you're just telling the body all the way throughout the day, um, slow down the, essentially your metabolism, your, your thyroid is in charge of regulating your metabolism. And it's, uh, while it's a necessary process, if, you know, we just moved to Minnesota and I was telling a patient this today, actually, um, your, your thyroid almost is, um, like that driver behind the wheel when you get a, a real big ice storm. And if it sees all the ice on the road, it's going to take its foot off the gas pretty quick. So you're going to see that TSH drop and your thyroid output is going to be dropped. So whether that's stress from low blood sugar, stress from uh, emotional stress, family, chronic pain, physical pain, or um, you know inflammation, which we'll talk about, inflammation will drive stress hormone production as well. So all of those things downregulate your, your thyroid. As soon as you get rid of the ice on the road, your body or your thyroid in this case feels like it can put on the gas pedal again, and then you increase the thyroid output. So by far the most common cause of functional level, one that where your doctor continues to tell you that you don't have a thyroid issue, the most common cause of that is you, your thyroid's taking your, the foot off the pedal and your brain's in charge of that, but there's something getting in the way of your brain's ability to step on the pedal. So low blood sugar is probably most common. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because like, once again, you're, I always try and teach my patients this in super holistic philosophy. We're talking about the body doing something on purpose for a reason, right? So you're saying the thyroid or the brain's telling the thyroid not to put out as much because for whatever reason, if you just keep ramping up energy in a storm or in an ice storm, like you mentioned, or with super high cortisol or irregular blood sugar, or let's say your blood sugar was really low and you turn your thyroid way up, your blood sugar would drop even more, right? So as the metabolism goes up, you would utilize a lot more sugar, you get even lower blood sugar, and that's not a good spot for your body. So not that that's the only reason why your thyroid would, thyroid would downregulate, but it's an example of how like the body knows more than, than we give it credit for. Um, oftentimes I, I like your, your breakfast story now, now as Todd, Dr. Dr. A, I'll remove that from the podcast. No, but as Dr. A, A mentioned originally, he comes from a background of like lifting weights, bodybuilding, macronutrients, micronutrients. So that's one of the cool things that we kind of unite on is we kind of have similar philosophies on eating. Right. And, and we come from a background that's not just like what functional medicine people are doing, which is like, oh, we're just doing keto today. Oh, we're just doing carnivore today. Oh, we're just doing vegetarian today. It's like everyone chooses their diet, but there's more to it. But, but one of the things on your PowerPoint slide that I will not skip over because I like to be controversial is that 100 grams of protein daily. 
Now, every one of my patients fights back. I only make them do 60, right? I give an absolute minimum of 60 for women, right? For men, they should probably be doing more, but I give an absolute minimum of 60. How'd you come up with that 100 and, and do you really make your patients do it? Uh, I encourage them greatly, but you're <laughs> right. Most of them will fail, but, um, but maybe they'll land about 60 after doing that. But the 100 grams came from, uh, again, kind of, you know, as you get older, uh, your demand for protein actually goes up. And that's something that I think people neglect to think about. They think I'm older, I'm less active, I actually have a lower demand. But in the actuality, you're, you're metabolizing muscle, you're, you actually have a higher demand for protein. So one gram per pound of lean body weight, most people have, uh, I know some people use the kilogram number, but I actually see that if we just push at least for a short term, um, and there's no real downfall to doing 100 grams a day, it's not excessive. If, if you can do the one gram per pound of bot, uh, lean tissue, and nobody really that I talk to knows what their, their actual lean tissue is, the weight of their bones and their muscles without all the fat. Um, but 100 grams, a little old lady might be 100 grams. So I, I think that's a good thing for most people to strive for. And then, and then one last question. So because my patients know who I am and what I stand for and eating healthy and stuff like that, I get a lot of thin people that are overall eating pretty clean, pretty healthy. Is it possible that they still have blood sugar issues? Uh, most, I mean, you could probably look at somebody like that. Most commonly, it's somebody who's eating really well and they're actually under eating. When you're eating healthy, it's hard to eat enough of the right foods. They may be eating the right foods, but they're not eating enough and in, in the right proportions, especially with fat and protein. Yeah, by, by far, that's probably the most common thing I see in my office as far as uh, smart errors, right? They're trying their hardest. They're eating healthy. They're getting all organic food. They're getting all grass-fed meats. They're eating clean. Um, and, and as soon as I tell them, oh, like, you know, are you getting enough protein? Do you have any idea how much? They're like, oh, well, I eat some black beans and some nuts. You know, I was like, okay, well, you're right. at like 22 grams a day, right? And, and yeah. you know, Dr. A saying 100, and I'm saying at least 60, which we're both agreeing that we kind of probably end up at about 60, you know, and, and if I'm lucky, someone will do more. Um, and, and interesting what you said, I also say the same thing in the acute phase, right? If you're sick, you need more, right? So in, if you're sick, you need more protein. Once you're perfectly healthy, you may be able to get away with less. Um, but yeah, and if you're fatigued and have all the thyroid symptoms of losing hair and, and, you know, fatigue, blood sugar, instability, then obviously more protein is like you said, safe and reliable. So, all right. I think that's probably enough on blood sugar, unless you had anything else you want to talk about on that blood sugar specifically. No, not, not in particular. I mean, when we get to the inflammation part, insulin is a an inflammatory accelerator. So we'll just talk briefly, maybe when we get to the inflammation, let's do that. Let's, let's go straight to inflammation right now, then all right. T tell me about inflammation. How does it affect the thyroid? When are you seeing it most common? Well, most common cause of clinical hypothyroidism. So one that where a medical doctor will actually see the numbers exceed the range and they'll justify putting somebody on meds is an autoimmune disease. Now, when you have an autoimmune disease or an autoinflammatory disease, however you want to categorize it, um, your inflammation is increased by something triggered by your immune system. Um, commonly people talk about gluten, uh, dairy, and then cutting sugar out. People go on specific elimination diets to help reduce inflammation, but it's not always a food. And 
I wish it was always a food because people would just get better faster. Uh, or they wouldn't even come in cause they already cut out gluten. Like most of the patients that I see have already cut out gluten. And sure. while there's a lot of good research on the whole molecular mimicry with autoimmunity and thyroid and gluten, um, you know, it's just not always the reality of the situation. Agreed. So aside from maybe pinning down some, I mean, it's so individual as far as doing uh, food specifically, but um, outside of the food realm, something that can maybe apply to everybody is addressing um, things that accelerate inflammatory processes. So they upregulate enzymes that drive more inflammation to being produced. So sometimes people are on, and this, these are not everybody's problem, but um, like the one a day aspirins or anytime where people are taking excessive amounts of NSAIDs, that's actually perpetuating an inflammatory response. Um, aside from that, you've got the stress hormones that we talked about earlier from blood sugar issues, um, insulin. So if you have a blood sugar issue that is on the other side of the spectrum and you have metabolic syndrome on top of your thyroid issue, um, it's, it's best to maybe look at fasting, maybe look at something that would improve insulin sensitivity. It's probably the only time I recommend or at least okay fasting. Right. Not that I have anything against it. It's just so often that people have normal blood sugar. It might throw them into a low blood sugar situation. For sure. So, um, other than that, low blood sugar, you're going to tell people to be cautious with exercise with insulin issues. You're going to tell people they need to get out and move, um, empty the cell of glucose so that your body can be more responsive to insulin. And you don't have these excessive insulin spikes. So in that case, cutting out sugar, something like that would be um, kind of mandatory. Um, aside so, from so maybe if you had like yeah. an overweight type pattern, you would be advising that person definitely go lower carb yes. metabolic syndrome. You called it right. Yes. I mean, it's so tough because sometimes I get like, I mean, I had somebody today who is still overweight, but they actually had low blood sugar. They have PCOS, right. But they have lo- like the, the, the doctors are perplexed because she has no, you know, with PCOS, you're thinking she probably has an insulin problem and she may, right. but, but with low blood sugar, what you have is insulin surges. So you have repetitive bombardment of insulin. So it's a constant battle between insulin and stress hormones, insulin, trying to lower your blood sugar below at a proper level. And then you go too far and then you've got stress hormones coming up to, to try and balance it from the other end. So now you've got these two hormones that can become toxic and, um, they're trying to fight for stability. I definitely see that probably that's, that kind of goes back with that whole skinny profile, right? So whether you're overweight or whether you're skinny, you can still have that, that insulin dysregulation or the cortisol dysregulation combined with blood sugar dysregulation. But no, I I see that. I see that more often than, than you would think too. We're going back to once again, blood sugar, a lot, um, triggers that I don't see mentioned on your, on your, uh, paper that we'll talk about later kind of, but just regular triggers of inflammation will be any kind of infection, right? So uh, sometimes I'll have my patients, they'll have a lab order out and they'll go get a lab order while they have a cold. Now everything comes back as if they're going to die tomorrow or something like that, right? Because every immune chemical is elevated. There's a lot of the, the, the immune, uh, they call them acute, acute phase reactants, but a lot of the reactants that, that will be elevated while you're sick. So just a note there on that. Um, and then a note on 
checking that inflammation because autoimmune hypothyroidism is probably, I, you know, they like to say 90% of cases, but I'm just going to say more cases than not, um, at least 50%. I don't know that that 90% number is quite right. Um, but most people aren't checking for it, right? So you go to your primary, they're not checking the labs quite right. And that's how you end up here. I think that's another thing that's unique, um, to a functional medicine practice is, is if someone comes in and they're like, Hey, I'm tired. Kind of like you said, you got to listen to patients and they check their TSH and it's normal. And then the doctor sends them home and says, well, you're not really that tired. Um, you must be okay. Your labs came back normal. Most of my patients have normal labs. Kind of like you're saying that lady with glucose had regular blood sugar or optimal blood sugar, according to the labs that the doctors looked at. So I just want to throw that out there. Um, we can talk about a couple of the, the, the supplements that you use typically to address inflammation. Maybe people are using these most of the time anyway. Yeah. I mean, aside from uh, reducing the inflow of what's triggering inflammation, you can help in the clearance of, of inflammation. And that's not always a straightforward case either, because while there are um, supplements like fish oil and then supplements that help you make more fish oil, like magnesium, zinc, or B6 commonly, um, that, um, that helps modulate prostaglandin production, but then you have something like turmeric and resveratrol who have a completely different impact on inflammation. So sometimes it's good to, if you're going to remotely try to address these things, maybe try to spread yourself across supplements that help reduce inflammation in different ways. And so maybe don't take turmeric and resveratrol, um, together and expect that, or, you know, commonly somebody will say like, oh, I, you know, I, I took turmeric and it didn't do anything for my joint pain. But then when you recommend they take fish oil, you know, they get significantly better. Well, there's different mechanisms that all these supplements work with. They're not all the same type of supplement. Like even people think NSAIDs and, and Tylenol work the same way. They have similar mechanisms, but they are different. So for sure, sometimes for it's, sure. it's good to note that the, the thing you think you're taking for inflammation may not be addressing it properly. And especially with autoimmunity stuff, things like turmeric or resveratrol would be something I would use a lot. Okay. Versus, versus the magnesium, which would be used for what? What would you use that more in a case for? So the, the, the tricky thing with the magnesium zinc B6 is that it can be depleted because this person is super inflamed, but also because it, you know, if they have excessive stress hormone production, or if they have an estrogen dominant pattern, or if they have anything that's going to bog down the liver, it's important for detoxing. So they have detox, it, magnesium, zinc, B6 are required to help stabilize blood sugar. So you have all of these things that magnesium is helpful for. So when you take magnesium, you're filling up 10,000 different buckets. Whereas when you give somebody turmeric, you're really just addressing one. And so you can more quickly address things by doing that. I, but I do see the counter argument of, well, you could be helping somebody replenish. So I, I don't see anything inherently wrong with doing magnesium zinc B6. It's just, if it doesn't drastically improve your symptoms overnight, then I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I'll, I'll throw in a quick word on just like quality of supplements and things like that. Both you and I use obviously like more doctor grade supplements, but, um, you know, I even say like with turmeric, like hundred percent better than taking a turmeric pill is eating fresh turmeric, but like nobody really likes to do that. But I can tell you that like, if you do that daily, it's way more anti-inflammatory than taking a pill. We run into those problems. So some supplements, uh, 
I, I go kind of crazy on this because if you go and Google the research on any herb on earth, it like cures all disease, right? Like, you know, turmeric has, has research that says it cures cancer. Turmeric has research that stops all inflammation. Turmeric has research that it cures diabetes, all of that. But then you go and put it in a person and it's not quite that simple. So I think oftentimes people uh, may, obviously a lot of people listening to a podcast are educating themselves. Um, but, but they're, like you said, forgetting that you can't just address inflammation with one pathway or with one supplement. There's a lot more to it, um, which is where the lifestyle components that we're discussing come in. Because if you skip one of those and it don't address blood sugar, um, but then take a turmeric pill, it just may not work. Right. So there's just too much going on for many people. Let's uh, jump to stress hormones now. So number three on your list there, even though we're going out of order, uh, is to reduce stress hormones. Um, what are the most common kind of stress hormones? Where are they coming from in your practice? And I can share where mine are coming from. Sure. Yeah. I mean, essentially stress hormones are, your brain tells your adrenals to make stress hormones. So what, what criteria needs to be satisfied before your brain tells your adrenal glands to work hard? Well, in one word, it's stress. So that can be emotional. And we talked about that a little bit, but like family pandemic job, um, emotional stress is hard to control. So I always focus on the things that you can control. Um, that would be maybe in the second category, chemical stressors. So chemical stressors are the low blood sugar, which we talked about and inflammation, both trigger stress hormone production. So Sometimes it's, it's almost primary to start addressing those things first. And a lot of times it, the biggest piece of the pie are those things. Um, but chemical stressors and then the physical stressors are pain related. So those are people who are in chronic pain. Those are people who, I mean, even if you just stub your toe, you're going to have a, um, you know, a stress hormone response to that. How, do, how, do, how does that, those stress hormones, how do they relate back to the thyroid? What are your thoughts on that? Well, so again, without getting into all of the different categories and patterns of, of stress hormones, um, they, they not only downregulate certain aspects of the production of thyroid hormone, but they actually make your receptor sites less sensitive to stress hormones. So the reason why I kind of picked stress hormones, inflammation and blood sugar is because they most, it covers a huge aspect of all the thyroid patterns. And when you're addressing stress hormones, you're not just addressing your production of thyroid hormones, but the receptability to thyroid hormones, um, to the, to other cells. Okay. Got it. And I remember I gave a presentation once, uh, and, uh, it's kind of like a PowerPoint presentation, a small group, and I kind of dumbed it all down to cortisol, um, estrogen and stress. I mean, that's really, that's really, uh, sorry, I think it was cortisol, estrogen and insulin, which really can be a simplified version of how to treat your thyroid, um, all without us talking about specifically treating a thyroid. Right. And I think that's, it's fun because we're like full, a lot, a lot of minutes into this, this podcast. And yet we're not saying like, Oh, it's because your thyroid didn't have enough selenium or tyrosine, or it's because you didn't take Dr. So-and-so's magical thyroid supplement. Right. It's, it's not that we haven't even talked about that. Now that's a part of it, but it's something that like, there's so many other things to address. And that's where I think that patients often fail is because, yeah, they can find on Amazon the latest thyroid supplement. Uh, but I don't know if that's the only secret to someone getting well, right? Yeah, unfortunately. And then you need to be careful with certain things like uh, iodine used to be the, the only way that they'd address um, th hypothyroid patients. And, and now they could actually accelerate an autoimmune response. Right. 
right? Some, something, I mean, I would say the people that taught me what I do, like, you know, 20 years ago, it was different, right? I remember, uh, you know, just a tr- shout out to Dr. Wally Schmidt, who just passed away. He, uh, he used to say that uh, adrenal supplements worked in the 80s, you know? Uh, <laughs> give, give someone a couple, a couple standard process adrenal products and people actually had more energy. Uh, and now, like, I, I could give you two bottles a day and you wouldn't really feel that kick if you have some other drivers going on. Um, I'll shout out in my practice, I see a ton of this emotional component. Um, and unfortunately, this is something that Dr. Dr. A and myself have some limited control over, right? So um, whether people tell me or I just pick up on it later, I, I, I find a lot of you know relationship, emotional stress, people that hate their jobs that, that I really can't break through. And I think in this day and age, sometimes people avoid it, right? It's like, oh, well, I, I have a bad relationship or I don't get along with my kids or whatever that is. Um, and, and it's something that does really need to be addressed. Now, I don't specifically do that in my practice. Um, I don't do emotional work hardly at all in my practice. I'll do the adrenal relation to the emotion. Um, but, but I do send people to go and, and talk it out with someone or, or find whatever works for them, whether they need um, strategies and techniques or whether they prefer some kind of motivational coach or whether they just do meditation from a certain perspective every day on their own. Um, I will coach people that they need to kind of find out, find that balance, right? Because you can't be waking up every day and just stressed about what's coming in the next coming hours, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That. I mean, it's, it's hard to, it's so variable between people. And that's why, at least in the practice, you know, I'm, I'm telling people to control what they can control. And I think they take, it makes them feel better about it, that they can take control of their anxiety or their, their, their health issues. And, and even though that we live in a, um, a stressful society, whether that be politically or otherwise, um, and even though they can't change something, they can still take control of, of their health issues. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Anything on that last, last talk on the stress hormones, as far as reducing them, um, physically, I just say, if you have pain, don't do it, figure out how to fix it before you go and try and figure out how to balance your hormones, right? Severe low back pain and trying to balance insulin and cortisol is just really tough. Uh, so you may end right. up going the back route first and then coming back to an insulin or thyroid problem after that. Cool. Let's talk one of my favorites. Um, not by choice, but I'm kind of like the famous dysbiosis gut guy. Um, just turned out that I was decent at helping people with it. Um, tell me more about how dysbiosis is going to affect the thyroid. Well, it's kind of a deep, it's a deep topic as well. Um, something that most people probably don't know is that 20% of the, the activated thyroid hormone is converted in the gut. Um, and dysbiosis is one of those things that can impair the conversion to T4, the, the largest amount of thyroid hormone to the active form T3. So that alone is a good enough reason to address gut issues. Aside from that, um, dysbiosis is a little inflammatory factory that even if you have a perfect diet, um, your body's going to be generating inflammation from within. And uh, again, if we already talked about inflammation being a, uh, something that's going to downregulate your your thyroid issue. So, um, just from those, those two standpoints alone, it's, it's worth addressing those things. How, how would you know if, if dysbiosis was kind of a problem creating maybe a thyroid, can you directly correlate it or is, is it going to be kind of indirect? Hey, I have some gut symptoms. I, it might be affecting my thyroid. Where are you at on that? 
I, if you have a gut issue, if you have gut symptoms, at least some portion of the pie chart is going to be related to the dysbiosis. Um, now it may only be 10% and your blood sugar issue is 80% of it. And resolving the blood sugar issue got you better enough for you to not have to resolve the dysbiosis. But, right. um, if, if you have significant gut issues, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I'm always addressing those simultaneously. So I guess I haven't gone through the route of not addressing the dysbiosis and just fixing the blood sugar. Okay. Well, I, I, well, I don't know about the blood sugar, but I can tell you just addressing the thyroid and not addressing the gut doesn't work so well. Um, in Arizona, we're unique. We have a naturopathic school here. So I have like naturopaths all around me everywhere. And one of the trends right now is just to prescribe a thyroid medication and not address the gut. So they're experts at reading their labs. They're experts at, and you know, and once again, this is me calling people out and being controversial because it's my podcast and I get to do that. But, um, but oftentimes people go in and it doesn't matter whether it's a naturopath or a primary care and they come out with just a pill, right? And that pill sometimes can't get activated, sometimes can't get converted, sometimes do- usually doesn't make things worse. Um, minus the fact that I always warn people that th- they'll get insomnia from a thyroid medication. Um, and that's a battle I have to play with someone. Someone says I'm tired and I have to say like, oh, it's probably your thyroid medication. You have to go work with your doctor to get a lower dose. Of course, then they're like, but wouldn't that make me more tired? And then we have to get to the real root problems, right? But it's like, they're not sleeping, but like three hours a night. And we're trying to find this balance of the medication. But, but on that note on dysbiosis, just getting back to where you said 20% is converted. Um, I, w- I would also say that the, the toxins that you're talking about, the inflammation from the gut contributes a huge load to the liver detoxification, right? So that huge load, then where most of the conversion happens of T4 to T3 in the liver your, your, your liver can only do so much, right? So it has to start making choices. It has pathways that need support. Um, and if you're not supporting those pathways to match the increased toxic load from the gut, now you're losing some of the liver conversion too, because I will see a huge, I'll see more than a 20% change by just addressing the gut and not doing anything else at times, right? Not always, but at times we can see something like a 50% change or something like a TSH go from like a 12 to a two in like three weeks. And I know that I didn't do anything but fix the gut uh, just based upon both the time frame and the herbs we used and how we kind of did that. And maybe the patient didn't even change their diet and we can see like a dramatic change, but it's, it's not just because the gut only, but that gut is, you know, like everything you can't, you can't separate it from the rest of the body. Right. I mean, there's so many different ways that you'll get bogged down by, having dysbiosis or some sort of imbalance in the gut. Um, I didn't even think about the, the load on the liver additionally with all of that. But, um, I mean, you see the connection between that. And like you said, the most common clinical diagnosed form of low thyroid being an autoimmune condition, the autoimmune connection to the gut is huge. Right. Right. No. I, and, and once again, because that's where the inflammation starting because your immune system's kind of picking up on foods and triggers and infections all through that gut before. And it's trying to protect you, right? That's the autoimmune response. Um, I have a pretty straightforward autoimmune response. Once again, it's the opinion on autoimmunity is it's the body trying to fix things. Um, but it's, it's, uh, not, not as easy as it wish it was, or there's too many other factors Now that's oversimplifying autoimmunity in, in a, in a simplistic manner. But the reality is from a holistic standpoint, I'm not going to believe that the body just magically went wrong and is trying to kill itself very often, right? What happens is processes uh, go awry and then bringing those back into normal is, is a difficult thing to do, whether by a practitioner, by a patient or by, by the body itself. But, um, okay. 
Well, let's get to finally that thyroid story so that you call this filling in the nutrient gaps. So actual nutrients related to the thyroid. Uh, what are some of the ones you see in your office and what do you use a lot of? Well, so making sure a lot of the stuff we at this point have already covered um, as far as filling in the gaps. So like to make any hormone in the body, you need to eat enough protein. So fundamentally make sure that they're eating enough protein. And again, I recommend the hundred grams. 60 is probably going to get you there. <laughs> um, and then you got to be able to convert the protein and turn that into the specific um, hormone that you're looking to make. So iodine is important. Uh, and that is something that I do use for thyroid. Um, just of course, when you're making a general recommendation, recommendation to somebody, you need to be cautious with it. Um, selenium and zinc are also very common cofactors found within that pathway, whether you're converting T3 or T4 to T3, or you're trying to, um, attach iodine onto the tyrosine, onto proteins, um, to make the hormone, um, other than those probably are the most common, just looking at cofactors. There are actually quite a few on the list, but I don't want to um, overwhelm with the entire list. You have that somewhere on your website or on a, on a video they can look at or something like that somewhere? Uh, I, can, I can put it out on there. I try, to, <laughs> I, try, I try to take the advice of a, of a colleague and try to keep it simple and, and, and not overwhelm people with all the possibilities, but, um, you know, it may only satisfy one out of a thousand people. So it, it, I, you know, the selenium zinc iodine, probably, um, probably a good place to start when you're just looking at cofactors. Other than that, things like ashwagandha, do you use that much for thyroid? I don't use it a ton. Uh, I, Almost all my thyroid patients uh, have insomnia and I've kind of had mixed results with ashwagandha. Sometimes it keeps them up all night and they hate me afterwards. So uh, <laughs> if I use ashwagandha, I'm using it in the morning, um, but ashwagandha has a lot of great research behind it for sure. Yeah. That one has a strong connection to thyroid for some reason. I actually don't use it a ton just straight for thyroid. Um, again, using adaptogens, I really like adaptogens, but um, again, I sometimes people feel so good on those things and then you want to take them off of those things. And, um, it's just like anything else. You don't want to become dependent on something outside of addressing those root issues. Right. Right. People come in with boxes and boxes of supplements. I always say like, well, which ones are you not sure if they're working? And they're convinced that hundreds of supplements mm -hmm. are working all at the same time. And I go, that's really hard to determine. I mean, I can't even decide if breakfast was feeling good and it's lunchtime, right? Like there's a lot going on because every day is different. Um, what was I going to say on there? Yeah, I, I find a ton of tyrosine deficiency, um, but it's always secondary to that protein component. Uh, the one thing that I'll do that's slightly unique is I'll use perfect aminos from body health um, because a lot of my gut patients maybe even getting hundred, 150 grams of protein, but they're still not able to break it down adequately. It's a stomach acid problem. It's something like that. So if I'm trying to get a quick thyroid win versus Justin, meaning I know that I'm going to have to address some other things. Maybe they've had a hard case of C. diff or something that I'm battling uh, or some kind of like resistant organism that I'm fighting with in the body. Um, I'll use the perfect aminos so that they don't actually have to absorb the protein. Uh, just kind of a hack there that I'll throw out for everyone there. Um, 
Cool. Let's go through the summary. What would you say? Like, what? Are, give me, give me some top three things. If you could only do three things, what would the three things be? We got to limit it. Uh, top three things. I think the biggest impact because it, it bleeds over to the other two are addressing blood sugar. If you have some sort of blood sugar issue, um, you need to resolve that and take that stressor away. If, uh, yeah, whether you're high or low, it's going to drive more inflammation and it's going to, it's going to drive stress hormones. So I think blood sugar is probably primary. If you have that issue gut, if you have a gut issue that that needs to be addressed, it's hard to pick your favorite child. Um, <laughs> but I think gut blood sugar and, you know, if they, if they have an autoimmune, like diagnosed Hashimoto's, they need to, they need to look into that pretty deep and, and find out what's triggering that, that inflammatory issue. And if they have a gut issue, then and maybe it's just coming down to addressing that. But, um, I, I would say that if it's a, a typical functional thyroid issue, um, that's not Hashimoto's. It can be d- addressed with the blood sugar uh, dysbiosis between those two, probably. All right. I like it. I like it. Um, okay. So that's about all I had today. I want to first of all, thank you, Dr. A, for coming on and uh, talking to everyone today. What's the easiest way for people to get a hold of you right now? Right now, I'm probably going to be most responsive to email. So docdoc at drtoddanderson.com, drtoddanderson.com. That's Anderson with an S-O-N. We are both Andersons with S-O-Ns, though, once again, not related as far as we know. Um, not real close, at least, right? Um, right. I, th- I think you looked at that 23andMe the other day. Uh, but, yeah. but uh, or Ancestry, where, where'd you do it? Yeah, it was 23, 23andMe. Uh, yeah, yeah, I got it. Um, <laughs> but, but you also have a website. The website is just like your email. It's drtoddanderson.com. Um, and then does your YouTube channel have a name? Yeah, just Dr. Todd Anderson. Um, that's just the name of the YouTube channel. Cool. So, so if they Google Dr. Todd Anderson on YouTube, they're going to find your videos. Uh, he has multiple videos on thyroid right now. Um, the one that we talked from today, it's about 30 minutes long. Uh, the other ones on there, they're more abbreviated versions, maybe more direct to your actual symptom, a specific one, uh, maybe more gut related or specific, like, a anxiety related, which is highly correlated with thyroid issues. Um, so why doesn't everyone, uh, so I'll put all the links in the show notes, uh, and then everyone can kind of look down there and click on all these things as well as I'll put a link to his website and, uh, maybe a link to his email address so that you guys can reach out to him. Uh, doc, Dr. Dr. A, are you still doing phone consultations right now? Can people pay to t- pay for your time? Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. I'm still doing those. I'll probably be doing those all through 2022. Okay. Cool. So uh, my office offers that currently. Dr. A's office offers that currently. Uh, So if you need help, if you find that someone hasn't talked to you about your blood sugar and you've been seeing a primary care, a naturopath, a holistic doctor, a chiropractor, whoever you've been seeing, they haven't talked about some of the things that we've talked on in here. You need additional guidance there. Why don't you reach out to either one of us? Uh, but Dr. Dr. Todd A is the man uh, when it comes to thyroid. And that's why I had him on today. And thank you everyone, everyone for listening. And hopefully we'll have him back on on another show. Dr. A, can we get you to commit to another show sometime? Yeah, we can do that. All right. All right. And we will catch you all on the next episode. Thanks a lot.